Welcome to the TLC Asks podcast, where we ask important questions about post-secondary education in an effort to identify key issues. In this space, we aim to dive into a variety of pedagogical topics. Above all, we hope to provide you with some food for thought as you navigate the ever-changing world of education. We respectfully acknowledge that the University of the Fraser Valley is situated on the traditional territory of the Stolo Nation, the people of the river. We offer our gratitude to the Stolo people and the land for their collective teachings and wisdom. Wherever you are listening from today, we encourage you to take a moment to honor the traditional territory on which you reside. Welcome everyone. My name is Maureen Weidman. I'm the Associate Vice President of Teaching and Learning here at the University of the Fraser Valley. And just letting you know that uh, UFV is located on the beautiful lands of the Stolo peoples. And it is an honor to live and work in this territory. It is my pleasure today to be conversing with Dr. Tony uh, Bates, considered a legend, I would say, in the area of digital learning. Welcome, Dr. Bates. Thank you very much. <laughs> so Dr. Bates is the author of 11 books, many publications and hundreds of keynote speaking engagements in the field of online learning and distance education. He has provided consulting services specializing in training in the planning and management of online learning and distance education, working with over 40 organizations in 25 countries. Dr. Bates is retired from UBC and is now a research associate with online distance learning organizations such as Contact North. So it is an honor to be speaking to you today. I do consider you an absolute legend. So thank you very much for being here. So Dr. Bates, my first question, you have written many books, but probably the most well-known is Teaching in the Digital Age, which was published in 2015, and it is available free online. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit about the book and why it is in such high demand. Well, I, I wrote the book because I didn't feel that there was anything around at the time that gave a comprehensive picture to uh, the time I was thinking particularly of university and college instructors uh, about what digital learning is and what it involves and how it differs from traditional face-to-face -face teaching. There were there are lots of books on how to use different bits of technology and so on, but I, I wanted to cover both the theory as well as the practice, because practice, in my view, should always be driven by one's theoretical position about what you think good teaching is. Um, so that, that's why I wrote the book, because I felt there was a gap in the market. Um, the high demand, I think, is partly in your, the answer is partly in your question. It's free. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it is, it is quite the book. I think it's like 600 pages. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but it, it's got such great information. Well, it was designed specifically to be used online. Uh, it was designed so that people could go into one section of the book if that's all they were interested in. Um, and it was designed as open educational resources so that uh, under a Creative Commons license so that anybody can take that material, insert it into a course, 
uh, and use it as a course as course material and adapt it and change it, add their own materials, add their own examples and so on. Um, I don't know how much that is done in the book, but it's been translated now into 10 languages. Fantastic. And the last time I looked, um, and I don't think the records are being kept anymore, it's been downloaded over half a million times. Oh, incredible. Um, which I think is probably some person in Coquitlam just <laughs> downloading it day and night. <laughs> um, perhaps you can just describe one or two of some of the important principles that you discuss and that we should, we should be aware of when we're teaching in this digital age. I, I'm was particularly influenced by changes in the economy and the kind of skills that students will need in, in the future. Now, there's a lot of emphasis on competencies, on, on specific skills for businesses, but uh, I was really influenced by a report by the Royal Bank of Canada, which looked at what they call transversal skills. These are the skills that students will need to take from one job to another, like communication skills, for instance. And these are exactly the kinds of skills that universities and colleges, you know, should be teaching. Um, and but I don't think we put enough focus on teaching them directly. We assume they will pick up these skills while they learn geography or history or physics and so on. And I, I make the case that you really need to teach for these skills and digital learning allows you to provides a lot of the help that you need as an instructor to do that. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, uh, no doubt about that, that there's so many opportunities to expand what is happening in the classroom when you when you had a, uh, a digital component, for sure. So there are two editions of the book, and the demand is coming for a third. And no doubt some of this is related to COVID and the realization of the importance of good online and digital learning. So how has the pandemic changed what we know or, or even what we don't know about digital learning? I think the big th there were two things that came out of it, came, came out in terms of experience people had as a result of switching to emergency remote learning. Uh, I think the first one is uh, the issue of access and, and equity that uh, when online learning was the choice uh, between face-to-face and online for the student, then this was not such a big issue. Obviously, the students who didn't have computers weren't going to choose online learning. Um, but those who did have computers and couldn't get to class were choosing online learning. So we always saw it as increasing access. What we found was when everybody had to go online, there were significant groups that did not either have good quality internet access or didn't have a computer and this was not so much a challenge in the post-secondary system, but although there were problems in the post-secondary system there, but particularly in the K to 12 system. And um, it was ne I, I, I never thought of online learning being designed uh, to replace face-to-face -face teaching in the K to 12 system. It was always a, there as a, an alternative for students, particularly in grades 11 and 12, who may not have a specialist science teacher, for instance, could take an online course instead. Um, so when it becomes compulsory, that really change, makes a difference between, um, it, well, raises a lot of equity issues. 
the, the second thing that came out of a more pedagogical nature was the um, what are the relative advantages of synchronous versus asynchronous online learning? Because most emergency remote learning started certainly as synchronous lectures delivered online. And I think most online experienced online designers threw up their hands and said, no, this is not the best way to do online learning. But nevertheless, we found there were some certainly some advantages in synchronous online learning. So I think the issue is, uh, what are the affordances of each? When, when should you teach synchronously and when should you teach asynchronously? And these, uh, so it shouldn't just be a default mechanism that you'll teach synchronously, just put your lectures online. Um, if the students want to record them or if you want to record them and make them available, that's an option. I think students need asynchronous access if they're working at a distance. And the question is, is that better provided through the learning management system or through a recorded lecture? Um, and what are the advantages? Now, I have my own views on that, but I think we need a bit more research in this area about what asynchronous, um, how that is different and when it's better and when synchronous is better. Oh, great questions. And uh, I'm I, certainly a debate on campus here about those very same things, whether it's better to be asynchronous or synchronous or, or both, um, uh, provide both options for students at the same time. Um, I'm, I'm interested to know about the impact of ethnicity, gender and age on digital learning. And was that brought into focus during the pandemic? In, in some ways, um, the racial issue became quite significant, particularly in the States. A lot of uh, black students found, well, a lot of black kids in school, uh, their parents wanted them online because they didn't get bullied so much. Um, I, and that was an issue that surprised me. I mean, I, I think the issue isn't whether to keep your kids at home because they get bullied, but try to stop the bullying in school. But um, I, you, you know, it, it brought to light some of the hidden issues about racial prejudice and racial um, uh, hostility and microaggressions at school and so on that um, we perhaps, I think schools are aware of it, but it became a, an issue that became very much defined during COVID-19. The, 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 the other issue is not so much a COVID-19 issue, but a more general issue, and that's about Indigenous education. And what are the appropriate designs for Indigenous online learning, for Indigenous people? To, to what extent can we design so it reflects their way of learning? I, I suspect that um, there, there are ways... That, that, first of all, I think we need to engage Indigenous educators in the design online materials that are appropriate for Indigenous people. The issue is, should you have a separate um, kind of courses for Indigenous people? I think in some areas like Indigenous culture, that might make sense. But what I think we should also be thinking about is not just Indigenous people, but other ethnic groups and how, how one creates courses that reflects uh, those different identities. Um, and I try to do that in, 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 in my book. I deliberately try to choose scenarios that reflected different cultures and different situations that uh, to, to try to make it more inclusive. But um, 
the best way to do that, of course, is to involve the the various groups that that you uh, that, that you're trying to in, in, embrace within your teaching. Yeah, and uh, again, we certainly uh, bumped into this during the pandemic about how to be as accessible as possible to as many people as possible, and um, and to be quite quite honest, we just didn't have the scope of expertise that was required to try and ensure that. And um, we are working hard to address it as well. So I really appreciate the fact that you're, you're going to be delving into some of these topics as part of your next book. It's, uh, it's going to be tremendously helpful for us and, and ensure that more students get access to education or better better opportunities for learning in, in an online and digital world. So, so thank you for that. One of the things that I really like about what you're doing and is that you continue to ask for feedback or input on the content and drafts of your book. So what are you hoping to hear from people uh, when the new additions to the book uh, come out? Well, I, I think uh, quite, a, quite apart from COVID and the, the experiences that came out of that that I like to include, um, also my book wasn't originally written for the K-12 sector. But what I found is that uh, there's a very large audience there. The American Teachers Association gave the book a five-star rating, much to my surprise, as it wasn't written for K-12 teachers. Um, so I really need to include more. Um, I don't think much of the message changes, but I think I need to include more, include more examples from the K-12 sector. and. Although I used to teach in the K-12 sector many, many years ago, this is a, an area where I really like some, some help and advice from K-12 teachers about how they've been teaching digitally uh, in their classes and what they found work, works and what doesn't. Um, so as I said, I don't think the main message will change, um, but uh, I would certainly like some better examples of successful K-12 digital teaching. Fantastic. Uh, and and how can they get those to you? How do they contact you with that? Well, they can contact me at uh, my email address, which is very simple, tony.bates at ubc.ca. Um, they can go to my uh, blog, uh, tonybates.ca, um, and uh, just post the message in there. I'll pick that up one way or another. Um, so yes, those are the main ways to get it, the universal ways of getting at me. Wonderful, wonderful, thank you. And just my last question here, um, with an eye to the future, what do you think we should be preparing for in the area of digital learning? That, that's a big question. I'm, I'm not quite sure if I have one single answer to that. Um, I, I, I think that, Certainly in the post-secondary system, one of the big challenges is that you have to teach differently when you teach digitally than you do when you teach in a face-to-face -face class. I mean, we're going to be moving into blended learning. I think most courses will have a combination now of face-to-face -face and online. The students have been going online for ages. They've been looking up stuff on Google and so on, um, you know, even if you don't build it into your classes. But... I think the big switch that really needs to happen is to move away from content presentation to supporting learning. 
Um, all the content's out there. You don't have to, as an instructor now, organize the content for students. It's out there. What, what you do need to help students with is how to find that information, how to organize it, how to use it, how to apply it, and so on. Um, and that means switching your focus, really, from, from being a content sub, uh, expert, or you have to be that still, you have to know what content is, and you have to be good at the content, but more to assisting students to learn. And because after they finish their studies, they're probably going to go on needing to learn uh, for whatever job or uh, career or hobby they have. So if we can teach students how to learn, that's going to be much more important than teaching them what to learn. Oh, great point. And what a great, great way to end this podcast. Um, there's no doubt about it. Lifelong learning is is the norm. It's the way things are and uh, definitely need to be able to learn how to learn because uh, it's not going to end for sure. So thank you, uh, Dr. Bates, for taking the time to speak with us. Very informative and insightful as usual. And I can't wait to read the third edition of your book. So thank you once again for being with us. My pleasure. And that's it for today. And I want to thank all of you for listening. Um, take care. You've been listening to the TLC Asks podcast. TLC Asks is hosted by members of the Teaching and Learning Center at the University of the Fraser Valley in Abbotsford, British Columbia. Our producer is Catherine Kohler. Our theme music is by Les FM. <laughs>